sure to follow up with anything that's on there as well. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. So if you want to turn in your Bible or in your Acts journal, here's the thing. <clears throat> this week, we are going to finish the text of the book of Acts, which means we're going to cover two chapters. Next week, we'll actually finish the series. So we have two more weeks in the series, but today we will get to the end of the text. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is simply looking at every single line in these chapters to view Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome, which is where he inevitably wanted to end up. It's definitely been an unconventional journey, to say the least, but Paul has been in the last few chapters in Roman custody as protection against his own people, the Jews. This all starts when Paul returns to Jerusalem. So he's been out doing missionary work. He returns to Jerusalem to visit the temple, and he preaches the gospel. But it takes a wild turn when he tells them, excuse me, when he tells them that God is going to include in his kingdom the Gentiles, which, by the way, is us. So we should be thankful for that. And he tells them that, and they lose their minds. And over the course of a few chapters, they're trying to seize and kill Paul. But through various wonderful provisions by God's grace alone, we observe that God is, or Paul rather, is both a Roman citizen and a Pharisee. And so he has these this wonderful combination of things that only God could see coming, and so providing for him in a way that would both allow him to speak to a specific set of beliefs, but also have access to the protection that he needs to finish his journey. And so he's not only protected, but he gets the opportunity over and over and over in these last few chapters to preach the gospel in front of big, big audiences. And then last week, we saw this really great moment. Paul's preaching in front of Festus and Agrippa. Yes, those names are available for any of you people who are going to have kids in the future, okay? <laughs> Festus and Agrippa and many other people in this council, he's preaching to them, and this is what he says. They're like, they're, they're hearing Paul and Agrippa specifically, who's the king of Judea. So he's like overseeing the Jews. So he really understands the Jews. And he's like, Paul, are you trying to convert me with your gospel message? And this is what Paul says. This is where we landed on last week. He says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Yes, Agrippa, I want you and I want everyone else who hears this message to become a follower of Christ. That's what he's saying. Paul is like, I want nothing else in this world more than that very thing. But eventually, the pressure becomes too great for the local officials. The mob is too incited, too angry. And so Paul, in order to protect himself, appeals to Caesar which makes it possible for him to be escorted by Roman guard all the way to Rome. 
And that's where we pick up the story today. We're picking it up in 27, verse 1. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture, but the story is incredible. So pay attention carefully. Chapter 27, verse 1 starts like this. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion in the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamiphila, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salamone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both the southwest and the northwest, and spend the winter there. Okay, let's pause for a second. So it's not the Phoenix that we know in Arizona, but apparently it's similar because they want to spend the winter there. It's, it's, it's nice there in the winter, so... Maybe we can relate to that. But the captain of the ship, he's like, not here in Paul, which actually, if we're honest, makes sense. I mean, you've got a captain who's experienced, you've got the owner of the ship, and then you've got some guy over here who's under Roman guard saying, I don't think we should do that. But he's like, no, I'm going to listen to these two. He just doesn't understand who Paul is and how much he hears from God. So we see what happens in verse 13. It says, now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, 
they were they began the next day to jettison the cargo, meaning they were throwing it off. And on the third day, they threw up the sh- they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Let's pause right there. Paul's a smart man. We get that. Who has clearly been equipped by God to do incredible stuff. But many of you are thinking the same thing as me and probably them in that moment. Paul, is this really the time to rub it in? That you were right? Is this when you wanted to tell people, I told you so? Man, Paul, that seems rough. But let's see what happens. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So even in the midst of this storm, we see that Paul has his mind focused on What God has told him is going to be true, that he's going to get there. He doesn't panic. He even says the line, so take heart, men, which means to wait on the Lord. It means to wait for God's timing. He's going, it doesn't seem likely, but I promise you, we're going to be okay. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat and they let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. They just had communion in the middle of the storm. This is crazy, okay? Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. When, oh, sorry, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. Just a nice little note for you. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach. 
on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. Sorry, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So we see that they finally make it to land, and Paul, what he said was going to happen, happened. And it's really wild because you, you think there was another plan where Paul was going to die. They wanted to kill the prisoners so that they wouldn't escape. And this random centurion who's now in Paul's life, who's now part of Paul's plan, says, no, you're not going to kill them. He wanted to save Paul. Another example of God's provision. So you would think they made it to land. So the rest must be smooth sailing, pun intended. This, however, is not the case. Picking it up in 28 verse 1. It says, after we were brought safely through, when, they, when we then learned that the island was called Malta, so we're now in Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Wow, Judgy Judgerton. Okay, verse 5. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay, this part of the story is wild. And I think every guy in this room is just a little jealous of this story. And let me tell you why. Most guys would love to have a legendary story like this to tell next campfire, next guy's trip, next time you're going golfing, whatever, you know, it's like, what guys do? Well, did you hear? I shook a viper off my hand, right? Like, Paul is an absolute legend for this story, but he doesn't rub it in. He just continues on with his task. Verse 7 says, now in the neighborhood of that place, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick and with fever and dysentery. And when Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And, he had, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever was needed. Amazing. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island 
a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putioli. I'm sure I got that one right. <laughs> there, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Okay, so we know, we observe something worth noting. This journey has been significant. This journey has taken a significant amount of time. It's taken us three weeks to read. It's taken Paul much longer to live out, especially in these last two chapters. We read, and every once in a while, it's like three months later, seven weeks later, you know, like whatever the amount of time. And it would be easy for us to read it and just forget, because we have such great modern travel, that the journey itself was truly a labor. Truly a labor. How many times along the way would you have wanted to quit? <laughs> right? Like, if we honestly ask ourselves, how many times would you, would I have wanted to quit this journey? It was not comfortable. It was not short. It was not easy. But Paul sticks with it. And I think that that's really important for us to remember because sometimes in life, and I'm guilty of this often, I see a destination and I just want to get there. But Paul, along the way, we read testimony, he was healing people along the way. Like where they crash landed, unintentionally landed, he was still doing the will of God. He was still praying. He was still preaching the gospel. He was still doing the things that God set him to do. And I wanted to encourage us because it encouraged me so much that the destination is as valuable as the journey. The journey is just as important as the destination. We can cherish each and every day because it truly is a gift. Let's not get lost simply trying to get to the destination. Verse 17, it says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because, of the, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have reached no letters, oh, I'm sorry, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And it says, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes can barely hear. I'm sorry, with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the end. It's kind of anticlimactic in some ways, but in some ways, it's really, really amazing because it shows that the thing that God had set him to do back in chapter 9 when he grabbed Paul's life through that conversion moment and set him to go do it, he's actually doing it. And he sustained Paul through a variety, an absolutely insane amount of obstacles and opposition, which is truly incredible. And I love that last line or one of those last few lines where it says in verse 24, first of all, and some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved, meaning like, hey, even though he was doing it, not everybody was totally convinced, but some were. So he just kept doing what he was charged to do. And then it says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, admittedly, when I read and talk about Paul's life, it truly seems legendary, does it not? I mean, he seems like the all-star Christian. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's like totally incredible what he accomplishes and the way that he accomplishes it. And so sometimes I feel like I hear this story and I go, yeah, but that's Paul, God. Like, I I can't really do that, right? I can't really do that. Like, even if it's just a little subconscious, even if I pumped myself up, like, you could do this, Rick, right? Or you could do this, Micah. If you just pump yourself up, you think to yourself, I'm just not sure that I could do it the way that Paul does it. And we know that Paul definitely had the personality type to do the things that he did in the first eight chapters of Acts, we recount that Paul was willing to go to extreme lengths to protect his religion, killing Christians, people who he saw was a threat. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a very different temperament. Even if people believe differently than I do, I don't want to kill them right? And I don't think any of you have killed anybody for believing differently than you. If you have, we got to talk, okay? But Paul, 
He was a Christian killer. But then he gets converted. He gets traded to Team Christian. And he brings that same intensity with him, right? That same commitment, that same skill set. God is obviously the ultimate GM. Okay. I'm just seeing if there's a few people still awake, right? Okay. God brings Paul onto his team because he knows that Paul's going to have that same temperament. He's going to go full bore for the mission that he set him on. If we look back at Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we see this type of commitment that we're talking about. It says this, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, meaning that's it. That's all I have. Like he is one track mind. I'm going to preach the gospel. That's Paul's temperament. But we're not all Paul's. We're not all Paul's. And that's fantastic news. Because could you imagine the type of church we would have if we were all Paul's? That would be wild, right? That is not what we want. The call in your life is yours. The call that God has put in your life, the way that he has wired you, is unique to you. We share two very important things in common with each other and with Paul, for that matter. It's our salvation in Christ alone, and it's the call to go and make disciples. But Paul, he can't go to your work and share the gospel. Paul can't go to your school and tell your friends about Jesus. Paul can't raise your children as disciples who are going to follow Jesus. But you can. You can do that. And so as we wind down the book of Acts, these last seven or eight chapters we've covered in the last three weeks have been an incredible account of Paul being used by God in miraculous ways to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But this is not a celebration of Paul. Did you get, like, this is not a celebration of Paul. The focal point has been Paul and his ministry, but the celebration is of God's faithfulness in Paul's life. If you've heard anything else, you're not listening. That's why when I read to you, like I did last week and the week before, the verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, authored by Paul himself, he writes this verse with the same confidence that carried him through this journey. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You have to receive that. You have to know that. You have to trust that. You have to believe that. And there's a reason to, because like Paul, many people throughout history have had the same confidence in God's promise, in God's word, that he will bless them abundantly, that he will sustain them in all things at all times. So God has put a call in your life. 
You're not Paul. You are you. But you do have a call in your life. You have a journey. And it might not be easy, and it might take a long time, and it might be frustrating, but you can rely on God's promise to bless you, to sustain you, to carry you, to allow you to abound in every good work. And I want you to look around this room. Just give it a quick scan. Check everyone around you out because we are each other's biggest cheerleaders. I know that was super awkward for some of you. Like you're like, you don't know the person right there and you just made awkward eye eye contact, but that person is indeed your cheerleader. I'm your cheerleader. You're my cheerleader when it comes to the things that God has set before us. And this new start, we're going to wrap this up next week. We're going to talk about sort of the implications of the whole series with the new start was our effort as a staff to point to the fact that from beginning to end of the book of Acts, God has sustained people who have carried his gospel, who have carried his mission forward into crazy places through crazy circumstances and with much resistance, and yet he wins. God wins, and it's through his people that he does the winning, and so I want to cheer you on. I want to encourage you. In fact, Jessica, let's sing that song. If we could sing that first one again, that would be really awesome, because I just feel like the words to that song as we get ready to close, you know, we're just, we're going to shout out his praise. We're going to shout out his praise because we're in the house of the Lord together, And so I want to pray, and then we're going to sing that song, and I want to encourage you. You are exactly the person that God intended to do exactly what he's intended you to do, and he's given you everything you need to go and do it, including a church who wants to support you, including a group of people who want to cheer you on. And this book is not a celebration of Paul. It's a celebration of God's faithfulness in Paul's life. And he has that same desire for you. I promise you that. So will you stand up with me? God, as we have witnessed over and over again in this story, in the spread of your church from a a moment in an upper room with Jesus and his disciples promising to deliver the Holy Spirit that he has carried forth, that a man like Paul who was killing Christians is now preaching the gospel in Rome without any resistance. So God, I pray that we would have that same fervor, that we would not try to be Paul, but we could be like Paul in our commitment to sharing the gospel with those around us because Paul can't go to our houses. He can't go to our places of work. He can't go to our schools, but we can, but we can. So let that be the case today in Jesus' name, amen.